our speaker. He seems like a guest sometimes. <laughs> I think we're dining at Divine Dining tonight together, too. Yeah, if you're going, I'm going, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, what are you going to wear? We should wear something that, you know. <laughs> I might wear this. I, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> well, that looks very nice. All right. Dr. Reverend Patrick Kelly. Thank you. Yesterday, Laura and I were going to uh, uh, Whole Foods, and, and, and Reverend Connie pulls out, and we stop for her, and she just waves at us and keeps going. You didn't even recognize us. No, that's okay. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So a lot of people have come up to me today and said, obviously Laura dressed you this morning, and no, that's not true. If I'd known the response, I would get put in a tie on. Oh my gosh, I'd have been wearing ties years ago. And these glasses are my work glasses. Like when I teach, I like them because they're big. And they actually have a camera in them. So I'm filming everybody today. If you fall asleep, I'll call you this week to ask you what you were dreaming about as you were in an altered state of consciousness. All right. Well, we are here in joy and celebration of life. And this is the eternal moment. And so I'm going to invite you to join me in building this vibration of the Most High. If you'd like to stand and sing with me, please feel free. If not, stay seated. We're going to sing in this very room. The words will be behind me. And then we'll go right into an affirmative prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room. In this very So let us come together in the open heart, in the sacred heart, as we open ourselves in this moment to the presence, to the life, to the vibration of the Most High. It is such a sweet place. It is the intimacy of spirit. It is that, it is that experience of spirit in our lives as we put down whatever we feel we need to protect ourselves from. And may just be vulnerable and open and permeable to the influx and the awareness and the experience of the divine in this moment. And so as I enter into that with you, it is my honor to be the conduit of verbalizing this activity. I am transformed. I am lifted up. I'm reminded of how precious and sweet all of life is. And that we are here to reveal love, especially where it is most difficult, especially where we are tempted not to but to be reminded as we come together in this, this, this cocoon, this incubator of consciousness, that something powerful and wonderful is always supporting us, always waiting to resource us and to supply us with the next idea, the next impulse, the next opportunity for our blossoming in consciousness. For this we have taken form, to love, to serve, and to remember. 
And so I just give thanks. I give thanks for the beautiful music today that has lifted me up. I give thanks for the beautiful consciousness years ago that came together, a small group of, of determined and clear individuals that said, we want this type of community here in our home, our hometown. And to stand on, we stand on the shoulders of all those people, people that have given their time, talent, and treasure so we can have this opportunity of celebrating and being in love and being in community and being in connection with spirit individually and collectively. And so I know that the world is blessed by our love that we share unconditionally and absolutely. This room does contain enough love for the entire world. And let us know that it, it bubbles up and bubbles out into the world in areas we cannot even imagine, but whatever, wherever it is called for, it is our extension of that from our deepest place of being, from that oneness and from that love. And so I just know that everything and anything that restricts my opportunity to be more alive in this idea is eradicated and dissipated in my consciousness and is released with love. I also celebrate the God that I see in every person this day. In the laughter, in the joy, in the tears, whatever may be alive for you, it is all sacred and divine because I declare it so. Because it is God in expression. For this I give thanks. And I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Amen. You know, wearing a tie, I'm going to start getting t-shirts with ties on them. This has been so good. I was just accused that I don't, didn't own one, so I thought I would prove them wrong. So, today, today is the Centers for Spiritual Living Worldwide Celebrating New Thought Day, March 3rd. And so it's our first celebration of our movement. It is a, a way for us to step out in the world and let people know that we are... Uh, we are a, an entity that is, as Dr. Holmes said, I never take myself seriously, but I take what we do seriously. And I love that because we can get so bogged down in thinking how serious and important we are. And we're all precious and we all are important, but to, to, to move out of that egoic nature and understand that what we're here to do is celebrate spirituality. And so many of us have, been, have started out in different traditions, some maybe not, perhaps some of you were raised in this tradition, but it's a beautiful tradition and that is beautifully articulated in the press release that went out this past week around this celebration. I want to share a few ideas, and if you're here for the first time, it gives you a bit of insight into what we stand for. Our mission, and this is not our, our, uh, our exact mission, but it articulates uh, the essence of it. We encourage personal transformation and collective awakening. We encourage personal transformation and collective awakening. And so we know that when we're transformed, it, it assists the collective awakening. We practice the gift of active compassion and kindness through our service to all of life. We foster a world that works for the highest good of all, for everyone. Our new thought principle, God or spirit or whatever you want to call it, the absolute, the force, is a creative process in action in everything, everywhere, always at once. Spirit God is love and intelligence and relationship expressing itself as the universal in all life. Expressing itself as the universe in all life. God is being each one of us. Though it doesn't get any more intimate than that. And so we all start in different spots as I've said many times. And so wherever you are today on your journey is, is right and perfect. And I want to share with you some ideas that I think will help expand your awareness and, and move us all forward collectively and individually into a, a greater awareness and a greater opportunity to be that presence on the planet. 
And so what I did is I went back to our book of the year, which is the, A New Design for Living by Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, and it's a wonderful book. And I know that we, gave it, uh, we gifted it to all our members this year. The thing is we read it our, our, our uh, uh, expectations for membership, so we only have three official members right now, so that saved us a lot of money this year. <laughs> I'm, just ki- I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but it's a wonderful book, and, and so the first chapter is New Thoughts, for old, new thought for old. And so we have, you know, all of us are a container of possibility and awareness and consciousness. And so in order for, Holmes said, and I love this, I love all of the Ernest Holmes quotes, he said, the only thing we have to work with is our mind and our thoughts. The only thing we have to work with is our mind and our thoughts. Because everything is created twice, first in thought and then in form. And so where do we do our work? Because it doesn't mean we just sit at home and think all the time. But it does mean that we get to look at our thought, our current thought and way of being and decide, is this going to propel me forward to what I long to experience? Or is this, is this keeping me blocked from that experience? And so it's looking at the new, the new thoughts for the old. Holmes starts this chapter, the beginning of this uh, of, uh, new design for living. He said, research, this is a quote by Dr. Albert Zent Gorgi. Research is to see what everyone has seen and think what nobody has thought. Research is to see what everybody has seen and think what nobody has thought. And so in order for us to do that, it requires a shift in perception or a shift in consciousness. He continues, it is often the meaning of the obvious in our everyday life which escapes us. And then I I weaved him together with uh, Father Richard Rohr, who's a wonderful Franciscan that I just have fallen in love with and his writing. And as I weave these two together, I couldn't tell where Holmes ended and Rohr started, so I thought, isn't this interesting? But Rohr says that literalism is the lowest and least level of meaning. Literalism is the lowest and least level of meaning. So when you, when you run into someone that, that interprets anything literally, you know, the, the example I can use is, is, if we go into, is if we go into a restaurant and we eat the, the menu. It's, it's not, there's no sustenance there. But there's the description, I'll just eat that. Why spend my money when I can just eat the menu? We can confuse, he continues, we can confuse ration, rational and provable with real. In other words, if I can't see it and I can't taste it and I can't prove it scientifically, it doesn't exist. And that's a very popular idea. Holmes continues that when we attempt to deal with mystery with the, or this is Aurora again, when we attempt to deal with the mystery, see, we're about the mystery. The problem and the challenge with this teaching as I look at it and look out in the world is that we don't give anyone a a, a roadmap of how to do this. We talk about the possibilities, about a bigger idea, but we don't tell you what to think. We just encourage people to think in a different way, so we talk about how to think, but not what to think. And it's so much easier when somebody's given us the rules. Don't you love that? I mean, when I, when I open a package, you know, usually at Christmas, and I've got to put it together, if I can't get it together, I'll, I'll, then I'll resort to reading the directions, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but most guys do that. All right, you know, I'm, I'm three hours into this. I guess I better go back and read the directions. And, and the wonder is, is that we're a, we're a, a movement of, of mystery. We're a, mis, a, a movement that says that all I have to do, work with is my thoughts, and my mind. And I can't tell you where your thoughts and your mind are right now. You might be raging along with something that happened. That's our human condition. You know, last week I talked about standing in the line in the grocery store and getting into the express line, 12 items or less. 
And then I went online because I thought, well, I'm going to look for a story about this. And I found the same joke like 15 times where the lady pulls up her basket and gets in the express line and the guy's behind her and he's trying to get home to watch the hockey game. And she's standing there and the, the clerk waves her up and she comes up with this basket just brimming with products. And he says, all right. He said, which, which 12 of these are you ready to pay for today? But my point was around spiritual practices that you, one of my spiritual practices, when I get in the line, I stand there and I count everybody's items to see who's, who's upholding the, the uh, agreement. In fact, I was in line yesterday. Laura and I went grocery shopping and I was in line and I counted. I said, this is great. I got 12 items. And I get in the line and she walks up with three more items. And I said, okay, we get in the other line now. And I'm going to get in the other line with joy. She said, I can put them back. I said, no, 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 this is good practice. Now that I've talked about this, I'm never going to be able to stand on the express line with too many items because you might be there. And then you'll be counting my stuff. Oh, my gosh. I've created a monster. So Holmes, Holmes says when we attempt, or uh, Roar again, we attempt to deal with mystery with the wrong software, we lose access to the higher levels of consciousness. When, we're, when, we're, when we've got the wrong download in our way of being, we lose access to the transrational, the transpersonal, and the transcendent. In other words, it's all, if we can't measure it, our software, our software that we've downloaded into our own consciousness is if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist, then we can't step into the mystery, then we can't step into the co-creation, then we can't activate and, and bring our spirits alive because we're too busy, we're in our heads. And I get it all figured out. Because the world's a busy place and it's confusing and it's intimidating and it's scary. When I live in my ego, I've got to control all of it. I've got to, I've got to watch my back and I've got to count the, the number of items in the basket at the, the store and I'm keeping track. I'm counting all the time. And I don't like that. I don't like that, I don't like that way of being about myself because it tenses me up. And then I can't relax. When I can't relax, I don't drive well. I'm impatient. I don't stand in line well. There's all kinds of things I don't do well from that perspective, other than feel like I'm protecting myself. The, Holmes said, the, a ruthless endeavor, love this, Ernest says it right here in the first chapter of this book, a ruthless endeavor to push forward the frontiers of discovery so that more of the great unknown into which the physical seems to dissolve becomes known. So he's talking about this mystery that we have on the planet. See, all of us, so many of us fear this idea that we're not going to be around in a number of years. This idea that this body, we won't, I mean, there's, a, there's an underlying theme of all of us are, are a bit afraid of the, 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 the death of the body. And so spirituality and to, and to, to tra- transcend and the, and the transpersonal, as, as Rohr's talking about, is we want something that's meaningful and everlasting. And when we start to be in the conversation with that, that unseen part of ourselves, that mystery behind all the form, every one of us, Every one of us is an idea in the mind of the infinite. Everything we see came from an idea from the mind of the infinite. Everything is animated from the infinite. And so what it says, and we're all connected. It just doesn't seem like we're connected, especially when we find people in our lives we don't like. I'm not part of that. And yet at some deep level, we are all connected. So what all the great traditions have said. The Buddhists have a term called bodhisattva. And bodhi means awakened, and sattva means uh, uh, essence. So it's an awakened essence. And one of their paths 
their commitment is to continue to, as, as they teach reincarnation, is to continue to come back and come back and come back and reincarnate so that until the entire world is, is awakened. So we don't have to make that commitment. We just have to wake ourselves up and to continue with the waking up. But isn't it amazing that this tradition that's been around for thousands of years got that, they get it. We're here to awaken, to awaken our essence. Nothing is more certain, Holmes says, than things are not what they appear to be, but are much, much more. So I want to share with you, because we had a wonderful, amazing teacher that came along about 2,000 years ago. I want to share with you some ideas that um, floated up for me this week. Because this amazing teacher, Jesus, you know, do we, are we Christian? Well, Holmes said we're Christian and more. But what we celebrate is the cosmic Christ. We don't celebrate the literal life of Jesus. Do you know it wasn't until the 8th century? I was reading to Bishop Spung, and he said, it wasn't until the 8th century that they even named Mary and Joseph. Eight centuries went by before they even named Mary and Joseph. You know, when we see Joseph, he's standing with a staff. He's either next to Mary on the donkey, with, and she's sitting side saddle on the way to Bethlehem, or he's standing above the, the, the crib there in the, in the manger. They didn't even name him for eight centuries. Not that it's good or bad, right or wrong, but you think that story's been around forever. But he, this is a parable. Jesus taught in parables. And I want to share this with you, and then I want to talk a little bit about it and explain it. He said in this parable, it's the parable of the tenants. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, he dug a wine press in it, and he built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and, and then he moved to another place. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. So rented it out, there's fruit to be collected, and he sent the servants over there to get it. Well, when he got there, the, 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 the servants got there, the tenants seized them. They beat them, they killed one, and they stoned a third. And then he sent other ser servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. And so here's the landowner trying to figure out what to do, and finally he says, you know what, I'm going to send my son. So he says, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he thought to himself. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. And therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will, what will he do to those tenants, Jesus asked the people that he was speaking to. And they said, well, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And if we interpret this literally, I mean, it makes sense, right? Hey, keep sending guys over to get what was promised and what was agreed upon, and you guys keep killing it? You know, this doesn't work. And he will, then he will do, he'll, he'll bring them to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in Scripture the stone the builder rejects has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to, a people, to the people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone who, whom it falls will be, on whom it falls will be crushed. So when the, he told this parable, and he said, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held him as a prophet. And so what's he talking about here? Because it's, this, it's a landowner, and landowner develops the land. He hires some people to work the land, and he sends the people over to get the fruit, and they won't give it up, and they want to hold what's theirs. And so, there's, there's, so what he's talking about, and what he always talked about, is not a literal interpretation 
It's, it's metaphor, and it's at a deep level. And so as you notice, as it starts here, and I'm borrowing now from uh, Irvin Seal, who, who wrote about this and who I'm borrowing some of his ideas. And Dr. Seal said this, no person can know everything, but every person can know something. No person can know everything, but we can all know something, and we do know something. The limits of the individual knowledge are like the hedges about a vineyard. The dominant viewpoints and general attitudes are the boundaries of the mind. And these boundaries represent the places where the mind is satisfied with its own opinions and refuses to entertain anything more. So what Jesus was talking about is the boundaries around this, this piece of land for this, this landowner. The hedges that he put up, the walls he put up, represent the boundaries of our consciousness. Isn't this amazing? I mean, this guy was talking about this stuff thousands of years ago. This infinite wisdom. Every mind has some philosophy. It has its beliefs about politics, religion, about health, about happiness, and about a future life. If its beliefs satisfy it or if it finds it difficult to go beyond a certain vague impression and can reason no further, the mind stops there, and that is like the hedge about the vineyard. The chemist operates within a certain defined area. The lawyer is a different area. Each and every one of us has a homestead or a plot of ground that is the vast consciousness of God. That's the consciousness. We all live in a certain box. Each of us has a wine press or the workings of our own mind which give to him the measure, his measure of zest and hope and courage in each of us. So we have this wine press. That is the work that we can do where the, where the fruit, where the benefits of this can show up. In fact, to entice you to come to the gala, I will, be, I will be turning wine into water, and you can come and witness that on Friday night. Some of you will probably have to buy the CD to understand the significance of that. But Each of us has a tower or a philosophy of strength and endurance by means of which the guard, we guard our mind against the enemies of gloom and defeat. Every person has an attitude and an outlook and an emotional pattern, and these are the, like the tenants which work the vineyard. According to the cast of a man's mind, so shall we be rewarded. Or as Solomon said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The mind has its tenants and workmen, just as the literal vineyard has. And when the tenants do not produce, the wise man replaces them with more industrious ones. Holmes wrote the first chapter, New Thoughts for Old. If we have ideas within us in our consciousness that are not producing the results that we'd like to have, doesn't it make sense that we would fire those ideas which represent the workers and, and, and hire new ideas? Which will feel really uncomfortable for a while because they're new. New behavior is always uncomfortable. My teacher used to say over and over and over again, obviously because I was in such resistance, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I didn't want her saying that. She was amazing, brilliant. Every person has a right to expect results from our thinking. Every one of us has results from our thinking. But if we, but if we continue to keep false opinions and limiting and negative beliefs as the tenets of our mind, these will kill all hope and expectation that, to, that we have to receive fruits, our fruits, which are the fruits are the result of our thoughts, the results of our activities, the thoughts that generate our activities. And so we're disappointed because all of a sudden we have an ideal and the ideal doesn't show up in our lives and it's frustrating. And then we say it doesn't work. It does work. It works all the time. But we're impressing, we're still impressing upon this infinite intelligence that always says yes. Those old, those old limiting ideas, those old false ideas about ourselves. I can have a different experience, but only so much. I can open myself to a different experience, but only so much. 
And so our opportunity is to do the work in our own being, in our own consciousness, whatever it takes, to open ourselves up to give body and experience to that which we're longing to experience. All those ideas and opinions which tenants the average human mind and which do not owe allegiance to the creative sovereignty of the spirit in man are sources of weakness. The spirit is the Lord, but these false tenants kill the Lord's emissaries until in many cases they capture the mind itself and cast it out of its own vineyard as in neurosis or kill it as an insanity. That's why the work is so important that we do. We are pushing the envelope of consciousness. And you know that. I'm speaking to that part of you and I'm speaking from the part of me that understands that. And so we're stretching our consciousness. And at some point in time, it becomes so uncomfortable for us, we say, I've either got to stop doing this, I've got to stop looking at this, or I've got to change something about myself. Richard Rohr says this, which I think is a prime example of what Holmes and, and Rohr are talking about. Uh, or I'm sorry, and uh, Irvin Seal are talking about. Richard Rohr says, it might surprise you, but both religious fundamentalism and atheism are similar in that they are self-contained rational systems. So fundamentalism and, and athe being an atheist are, are both connected in that they are fundamental rational systems. He continues, such a system works if you stay inside its chosen logic and territory. Fundamentalist Christians cannot leave Texas. That's a metaphor. And he wrote it, I didn't, so you can write letters to him. But he continues, he doesn't just call that group out. He says, fundamental Muslims cannot leave Iraq. Fundamentalist Jews cannot leave Zion. And atheists cannot leave their own institutes and academies. He continues, my own Catholic tradition seems not to realize that Roman and Catholic, which means universal, are actually an oxymoron. As long as each system stays inside its own boundaries, it all works but not usually in the largest box that Jesus called the kingdom or reign of God or the global world we live in today. So I'm not picking on any of these, but if we're to understand the world and where we are and what the possibilities are, for us to, to, to go out in the world and say we're all connected, we're all one, we believe in oneness, we believe in spirituality, we believe that spirit is alive in each and every individual, and when you run into people that are in this box, that the hedges around their consciousness are so small, they're not going to agree with us. And it's okay. It's just to understand it. It doesn't mean we stop. It just means that we get to do our work. We go to our prayer chair and do more work around it to give birth to what wants to be given birth because this is the way the world works. And the challenge we have is it requires many of us to live in the mystery. We don't have, I don't have a list of rules to give you. I have suggestions about how you, how you might think about something, but not what to think. You want to keep hating somebody? You can keep hating somebody. Because what my teacher taught me was that serves you to a certain point. And when you're, done, when you're ready to be done hating, you'll move into a different experience. Or not. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I don't have to... I don't have to see, I, I do have the, the camera turned on right now. I'm zooming in on somebody at the moment. But I don't have to keep an eye on you. And you don't have to keep an eye on me as much as you'd like to. But. He continues, no ego... See, fundamentalism is all based on ego and protection. No ego, individual or group. This is Richard Rohr again from The Immortal Diamond, if you're wondering, page 76. Beautiful book. It's his newest book. No ego, individual or group ego ever wants to leave home. No group, no, your ego doesn't want to leave home. I remember when uh, Reverend Connie Phelps said to me that when she was studying ministerial training with Reverend Carol Carnes in Calgary, Carol would say frequently, you're going to have to leave home. You're going to have to leave home. 
Who wants to leave home? Home is what's familiar. It's any notion of universal belonging takes away my specialness, my superiority, and my separateness, which are the precise trademarks of the mental ego. So why wouldn't people want to celebrate our oneness? One life, we're all in this together. We're all the, we're all the individualized expression of God in life. That we all have this opportunity to choose and to do our own transformation at the level of consciousness. Well, I don't want to do that because then I won't be special. I won't be different from you. I don't want to be like you. Then I won't be superior. I'll have to put down my separateness. I mean, that's what transformation's about. And that's why it's a challenge for people. It's so much better to have my tribe and say, this is my tribe. We're the best tribe. We're the only tribe going. Wherever you're going. J. Scott Neal, Reverend J. Scott Neal said he was raised Southern Baptist. And in his church, they were the only ones going to church or going to heaven. And he looked around one day and says, I don't want to hang out in heaven for eternity with this group of people. They're no fun. <laughs> but I mean, that's the idea of the tribe. He says, now that you know why people fought and even killed Jesus and why humans love to create controversy instead of find their true selves. I've said over and over and over again for several years here, let's use this teaching to heal our lives. And, when, and the great thing about my role is that what, people's, what people do is they project their unhealed crap onto me. And I'm really clear about it now. And I see it coming and I'll say, well, tell me more. Because I get it, it isn't about me. They're making stuff up in their head about me based on their unhealed stuff. You know, I can't keep somebody from, from blossoming and flourishing. I don't have that kind of power. But it's so much easier to stop there in our evolution and say that you're creating controversy than to do our own work. I see it over and over and over again. This is one of the reasons I got back on the leadership council. I said, we've got to stop this. We've got to call ourselves up into the light and say, stop this. Let's do our own spiritual work and our own spiritual practice so we can be of value in the world. Otherwise, we look like these tribes. Nobody ha- I don't have anybody's answers, and nobody has my answers. But I knew at the, at, at the end of the day, if we all agree that there's one life, and it's God's life, and it's finding its way in and through and as each one of us in an, an amazing and, and, and spectacular way, then we're in agreement. You know, stand around and say, oh, you know, God's, alive, God's present in everyone except you. No God in there. He says that, it, he said, and Richard Rohr says, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress for a moment on this. I better not digress for a moment. He says, I believe the full mystery, the Christ mystery, serves as a map for the entire journey of the true self from divine conception to beloved status through crucifixion and under resurrection. Carl Jung, a frequent critic of Christianity, nevertheless said, what happens to the life of Christ happens always and everywhere. And he called Christ the archetype of the self. Young defined the archetypes. But the, the core of all of us is this cosmic Christ. It's alive. I was reading the, around the Buddhist this, this uh, day, and, or last night, and he said nirvana is not a place to go. Nirvana is a present moment awareness. That's just their way of stepping into the cosmic Christ. I love this. This is a quote that Rohr put in, uh, on page 76 of his, his book. He said that from St. Anthony of the Desert, here it is. He said this in two, he lived 251 to 356. He was St. Anthony of the Desert. 
God is gathering us out of the regions till he can make resurrection of our own hearts from the very earth and teach us that we are all of one substance and members of one another for the one who loves his neighbor loves God and for the one who loves God loves his own soul. That's it. That's what Holmes teaches. That's what, it's been there. But what happens is so easy to get tripwired into this is my group. I'm in this club. I don't want to belong to a club. I want to stand for love on the planet. I want to stand for healing. We're healers. This is a healing teaching. What are we healing? We're healing the sense of separation from our oneness. And when we get caught up in the politics, it doesn't, we need politics. And we need laws. And we need rules. And we need all kinds of things. Because everybody's at a different starting point. But the point is, is for those of us that have grown beyond needing those, those exterior imposed limitations and, and ways of being to start thinking for ourselves, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. Dr. Holmes said in this, this chapter, he said, number one, we must remove all thoughts of limitation in our own consciousness. So when we find ourselves, catch ourselves thinking and limit, limiting thoughts, I can't have, I don't deserve, I'm not good enough. I need to be punished. I need to, whatever it may be. They're so subtle. But if there's something alive in us where something shows up in our lives that feels like it's, we're being punished, we've called that forth in our experience. And so what is that about me? And do I want to continue to have that experience? Because I'm for the freedom and the joy. I think that's why we've come, to celebrate the Christ consciousness. And freedom and joy doesn't mean taking advantage of people. Somebody in my class the other night said, I'm gonna, I, I, I said, I'm going to treat for you to win the lottery because I did the big talk about the lottery at class the other night. And I, so I got to the lottery thing and I went down and they got this new thing, Western Million. Anybody played it? See, I'm the only one that played it. Anyway, I'm in the store. I'm down here with, at the market and the guy says, you want to play? I said, yeah, I want to play that. I got people praying for me. I'm all excited. I'm like, yeah. I came home with this big stack of tickets to show Laura and she's like, oh my gosh. I said, no, no, the winner's in here. I can feel it. So, lo and behold, I get four out of seven on the, the uh, Western, the new one. It was the first draw. A four out of seven. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I get in my car, and I race down there. I go in. I give it to the guy. Sign it, because I don't want him taking it, you know. I won $10. <laughs> so I want to thank whoever was treating for me. And I'm going to tithe... A dollar back to them. <laughs> they treated. I won. I was thinking maybe something bigger, but anyway. But Holmes said that we must get rid of all limitation in our thinking. Number one. And number two, we must be like children, as the teacher Jesus said. Be like little children. To be open, to explore and investigate our own life. Say, wow, look at that. Here I am doing this again. And to, and to be transformed in our consciousness Irvin Seal said this, there's only one thing and one thing only which keeps the mind healthy. One thing and one thing only that keeps the mind healthy, and it is the knowledge of the presence of God in daily practice. It is the knowledge of the presence of God in daily practice. And sometimes that's hard to see, isn't it? And yet that's our work, to understand that it is all God and it is all, it is all unfolding for us. What is there for me to know in this so that I may continue? Because as we are transformed in consciousness... Everything gets transformed. And it's a beautiful, wonderful experience. And that's what we're about. But it's a mystery because we're all starting at different places. 
If all we understand and believe in and love and hold precious is the things that we can measure, that, are, that we can reason with, we're, we're leaving this whole component out. And we live in a, in a world right now where so many people are locked into that fundamental hedgerow of, of, of smallness, that the wine that they're pressing isn't a really great quality wine because they don't believe in the abundance of life, the quality of life. And this watchtower is there to protect rather than the watchtower is to look over the horizon and see what new ideas are coming forth, what new possibilities are coming forth. You see, that's to live in freedom, to say, bring it on. Bring it on, because I know who I am and whose I am. I am spirit expressing in this form at this point in time, as are you. But we forget that, and I understand. I forget sometimes, too. But it's a beautiful thing. 